Let's be honest. The vast majority of UFO sightings tend to be a bit mundane. Without casting judgment on anyone, a glowing orb in the sky that is visible for a few moments before disappearing isn't the most riveting of encounter types. Let me regress a bit and already say that while situations like these are intriguing, they don't send shivers down one's spine most of the time. Most objects seen may not even leave a trace of their presence afterward, leaving them to exist mainly in the memories of their observers. This is why we tend to remember, by name, the ones that do leave marks, both on their environment and on the human body. Today's case, while decently short and straight to the point, sets the standard pretty high when it comes to long-lasting physical evidence. While we would have preferred not to have had someone's health adversely affected from any kind of event, extraterrestrial or not, this case gives the world some good evidence for some mysterious happenings that occurred on the night of December 29, 1980. As always, thank you for joining us this week on the Supernatural Tendencies podcast, where we aim to turn our eyes skyward to investigate some seriously radiation-emitting government-involved weirdness. And please stick around for this week's Musician Spotlight, this week featuring Slumlord Radio. I'm Alex. And I'm Christy. And this is episode 35, The Cash Landrum Incident. It tends to happen quite often that one finds UFO encounters that leave long-lasting marks on the people who witness them. Usually, though, these marks are mental, reliving the memory of the happening over and over that has twisted how one views their world and universe. Physical signs that are left on the witness tend to come a little less frequently, given the overall amount of reported sightings worldwide. But this case would put an interesting cherry on the top that will keep investigators talking about it for some time to come. Government involvement. I hesitate to use the term conspiracy theorist in this instance, considering the recent Pentagon UFO acknowledgement of videos released by the U.S. Navy. What a time to be alive. But many have argued, almost stereotypically, for years about government involvement in extraterrestrial contact. Amid possible cover-ups galore, the Cash Landrum incident should give pause to even the most hardened skeptic. But enough with the I told you so's and on with the story. It was about 9 p.m. when Betty Cash, Vicki Landrum, and Vicki's seven-year-old grandson, Colby, were driving near Dayton, Texas, just north of Houston. Navigating the two-lane road that was guarded on either side by trees, the three would suddenly be stunned to observe a diamond-shaped object in the sky, about 130 feet away from them. As they came closer to the object, they claimed that they could feel the heat in the car rise. The heat would continue to rise until Vicky would yell for Betty to stop the car. Cramming on the brakes, bringing the vehicle to a halt, Vicky would be thrown forward. Attempting to catch herself on the dash, her hands would leave prints in the dash material. Needing a better look, Betty decided to exit the car and approach the light-encrusted object, leaving Vicky and Colby behind. 
Betty, trying to stand resilient to the ever-present heat engulfing her, noted that the vehicle, while diamond-shaped, the top and side points were rounded in contour. Most strikingly, the bottom point had noticeable flames pouring out of it. She would describe her surroundings as burning her from the inside out. Her fear would encompass her just as much as the heat wave, disabling her from movement, until Vicky would shout at her from the car for them to leave. She would make her way back to her car and instinctively reach for the door handle. It too would not be immune to the heat, and would remind her of this by scalding her hand. Despite being under an obvious effect of whatever was gracing the sky above them, they continued to watch. Soon, the diamond-shaped craft would gently ascend from its starting position, and be joined and then surrounded by helicopters. Not just one or two helicopters, but by what the trio could count, anywhere from 23 to 26 of them. Through an orientation that is not specified, all who were partaking in the aerial show eventually disappeared in the distance. When the three arrived at home, they immediately began to feel ill. Vicky would find herself vomiting in the middle of the night. Colby would then cry out for help and water. Upon entering his room, Vicky would notice that he too had vomited, and it was covering his bed. While they all were experiencing the sickness, Betty Cash seemed to receive the worst of all. Blisters appeared across her body, nausea, headaches, and a myriad of other issues that seemed to be highlighted by patches of her hair falling out. By January 1st, her condition had deteriorated so badly that she had to be hospitalized. After the fact, Dr. Brian McClelland would say that Cash's side effects are no doubtedly caused by high doses of radiation. He would go on to make the analogy of the amount of radiation seen about three to four miles from the epicenter of the blast at Hiroshima. Records would correspond with this since three weeks after that night, the doctors would deem it concerning enough for her to be put through treatment for acute radiation poisoning. While Cash would recover and live another 18 years, she would still live with the side effects of what happened on that night for the rest of her life. After Betty's release from the hospital, all three still began to experience side effects from the experience. While Vicky and her grandson seemed less affected than Cash, the three people's proximity to the object seems to have been a clear gauge of this outcome. John Schusler, an executive for an unnamed aeronautics engineering firm and MUFON investigator, was contacted by Cash soon after her release from the hospital. Schusler came to Texas and conducted his investigation and found some points of interest. First is the manner in which the witnesses recited their accounts. Schusler wholly believes that the concise and honest manner of their accounts is worthy of merit when looking at a case such as this, something that is usually at the top of an investigator's list. Given that a story can be well rehearsed, this case would prove to add layer upon layer of evidence outside of the witness's testimony. Schusler would note that while being walked through where the object was positioned in the sky, the pavement below where the object had been hovering showed signs of extreme heat exposure. He would go on to say that the marks left were clearly visible to the naked eye. Furthermore, he would state that in a few weeks after his initial investigation, witnesses living nearby would attest to seeing unmarked trucks approach the spot, dig up the asphalt, and lay a new layer before driving off, effectively erasing the scorched evidence. Carrying on with the investigation, Schusler would interview everyone who had lived within a five-mile radius of the site. Ten other people would come forward in saying that they too had seen the object. 
Out of the ten, seven, including a police officer, had also seen the helicopters, all giving near identical descriptions of them. Detective Sergeant L. L. Walker, the aforementioned police officer, would be certain that the helicopters would be military-owned. Betty and Vicky would not let this event go unheard. They would go on to write a letter to two Texas congressmen. They would receive a reply that stated that nearby Bergstrom Air Force Base would be notified of the incident. In August of 1981, Vicki and Betty would be invited to come to Bergstrom to go over what had happened to them on that haunting night. Both Vicki and Betty would say that upon entering the room, they would notice a large map with a pin stuck in it where the incident had taken place. They were also accompanied by a stenographer who took notes of the interview. After being questioned for more than two hours, being asked about the specifics of the incident, the effects that they had sustained during the event, and even going on to request that Betty remove her wig that was concealing her hair loss, not much came of the interview being conducted. The interviewers would ask the pair how they knew the helicopters were military ones and what they expected the Air Force to do about what had happened. The witnesses requested that the Air Force help with medical bills they felt were partially caused by the aircraft. The interviewers would explain that since they had no indication that there were any military involvement in the area on the date in question, the pair could fill out a claim that would be reviewed. Four weeks later, as one would have guessed, the claims were denied. Both Betty and Vicki, not wanting to let this die, filed a lawsuit in 1982. The suit was dismissed by a federal judge due to lack of evidence. Not even having the opportunity to be heard in court, the duo felt deflated. With no further avenues to pursue, they were left with carrying on with their lives as best they could as the only option. Betty would be hospitalized at least once a year until her death 18 years later. She would acquire multiple types of cancer as well. Both Vicky and Colby would continue to be plagued by low white blood cell counts and weakened immune systems, as well as Vicky losing her sight before her death in 2007 all claimed to be side effects of radiation exposure. While we here at the Supernatural Tendencies podcast do believe in the paranormal and extraterrestrial, we have to raise a few counterpoints to this case. First, we are not medically trained in the least, but could one argue that the symptoms exhibited by the witnesses just be a product of genetics and age? In 2018, Brian Dunning would write a piece for Skeptoid.com inquiring about one of Cash's doctors diagnosing her with alopecia areata, an autoimmune disease frequently causing hair loss prior to the event. Also, without making any rash comment about her age without being able to fully verify, Vicki Landrum didn't appear to be at a very young age at the time of filming their Unsolved Mysteries segment in 1990. Considering she lived until 2007, another 17 years, would put her at a decent age upon her death. Is it outside of the realm of possibility that her loss of eyesight could be attributed to more of her age than anything else? Dunning would also find conflicting doctor's notes that would allude to inconclusive findings on Cash's condition. To keep the ball rolling, while being featured on an episode of That's Incredible, a skeptical physician examined the photos taken of Cash's burn and couldn't help but think that they were caused by circular holes being cut in garments and then Cash exposing herself to sunlight. Dunning would go on to accuse Schussler, the MUFON investigator, of cherry-picking evidence to support an extraterrestrial solution. 
One last food for thought would be the fact that the United States Air Force did not have any twin rotor helicopters at the time as the witnesses fervently reported. Other government bodies did, such as the National Guard and the U.S. Army, but the witnesses held fast to their claim that these were Air Force vehicles, stating that they had seen the words Air Force printed on the sides. Dunning would drive his point home further by alluding to the fact that the words Air Force would have been printed in small black type, not easily visible from the witness's vantage point, in the dark, from so far away. He asserts that they may have been able to see the Air Force insignia, but most certainly not the print. When asked to draw a picture of what they had seen, young Colby would ask about the helicopter that had landed in Dayton, to which he was quickly shushed. Could the women have seen an Air Force helicopter beforehand and applied their memory to the story for added credibility? Considering that the women attempted to capitalize on a $20 million lawsuit on the Air Force, it does start to feel a bit odd. After conflicting diagnoses, issues with placing the correct hardware with the correct organization, and the attempt at financial benefit, we are still left with some interesting evidence that cannot be denied. Multiple witnesses did attest to seeing an object in the sky along with helicopters, even if who owned them may still be in question. Physical evidence left on the pavement that reports would later say was removed by unmarked vehicles, leaving clean new pavement afterwards. While some may have written this case off as a hoax, there is still enough evidence to keep it valid as a legitimate experience, especially since the account isn't limited to three main witnesses. As with many UFO encounters, we are left with more questions than answers, and it appears to remain that way from here on out. But the Cash Landrum incident still left a very clear mark on ufology. By the 1980s, had the government perfected their techniques for cover-ups to the point of being able to throw this whole case into questions? That may be our inner theorist rearing its head. But multiple witnesses may still think something odd happened on that dark stretch of highway on that December night in Texas. And so do we. those i'm gonna do that no see here's the what up you guys because we had why is this still posting up there well first off this there. is the official start right yeah this is the official first start. off welcome this week again to the supernatural I'm trying to delete podcast this, but it's like not letting me delete it there it goes Thank you for for joining us for the Supernatural Tendencies podcast. We had a few issues today. The audio listeners will not understand how late we're recording. We actually finished recording the first part of this podcast by what? 1.30? Yeah. Something like that. Went smooth. Man, our voices sound silky, silky, lovely smoothness. And then as soon as we go to record uh, or do the live for this... uh, you had decided to let StreamYard, your StreamYard subscription, last. Well, because we were having some issues with the audio, and I've heard so much good... I'm not even going to say their name, well, but we've heard so two much... Part, Two-part problem you had. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we've so had we've, we've been having this audio issue with, our, our, with StreamYard. Otherwise, we absolutely love StreamYard. So... It was coming up for renewal on the 24th, and I was like, you know what? I've heard awesome things about this other... I don't want to call it app. Streaming platform? Streaming, Yeah, streaming platform. And I thought, well, you know, it's even cheaper because StreamYard's kind of expensive. It's 50 bucks a month for it, you know, just to be able to stream live and do all the fancy-dancy things we do. So we tried this other one here this morning. That was the plan. And literally for four, three and a half, four hours now, we have just been 
going through hell with it. It would not work. It would not give us a signal. All of this, I was in chat with their customer service, and I use that term lightly. Yeah. So we ended up basically saying, I want a refund and going back to StreamYard. Mm -hmm. So, well, part two of our issue with possible <coughs> issue with StreamYard is we're not trying to give out our future plans too too early, but we're kind of uh, throwing around the idea of let me bring this down of uh, possibly adding some hosts on. And the initial thought that we had, the initial issue that we thought we had, was that we thought StreamYard was only allowed only only allowing I cannot talk only allowing two two simultaneous cameras to be going after. Literally a two-second search, we found that it will allow six and then ten in the broadcast studio altogether to be switched out. Which on the is live feed. not what they say on their website. But we we tested it and we could do at least three. So I imagine it could do four if it says six. So now StreamYard does everything else properly for us, except for last week. If any of you turned in, tuned into last week's live, for some reason my mic didn't pick up, and it's a this elaborate setup that I won't go into explanation. But for some reason, without us changing any settings, it wasn't picking up this microphone. It was picking up from her microphone so it was like in a roundabout way just getting my room my room voice and not doing uh actually my direct recording so hopefully today i sound better uh i sound like i'm not yelling from the other side of the room so uh at that juncture juncture junction puncture i don't know what i'm saying uh we're back now with Streamyard. so now four hours later we're actually doing the live so without uh with that very elongated piece of uh well peek behind the curtain rather do you want to start today's show? Uh, go ahead. Go ahead, because it's your script. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> All right, today we're going to be covering the Cash Landrum UFO incident. Um, I would say that I think a few other podcasts have done this, but not like not a lot of the big ones. It's a pretty well-known case, though. And it, and it is, so much so that it was on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. So if any of our scripts that we do research for, that I do research for, that mm -hmm. allows me and makes me... Watch Unsolved Mysteries, I'm totally fine for that. So That's if you guys awesome get the show. chance, I believe it was season three, episode four, which came out in like 1990 or 1991, this case was featured, which uh, we actually cited in our in our citations there. Um, Do you see Jake? No, what'd Jake say? Jake. Yeah, yeah, so she said, can you Ooh, post that terrible, I was trying it, it was like... Oh, there we go. Sounds like Chrissy sabotaged your microphone in a power mood to attempt to be sole host. Probably, but unfortunately, I'm the one that mainly talks, so she can actually kind of half-see comments. So sometimes, and this is kind of like, again, a further peek behind the cushion, uh, cushion, oh my god, curtain, uh, is why we're trying to come up with maybe some other hosts is yeah. to get some more people to bounce ideas off of uh, the way it is. Because if not, I just like look at her, and then she goes, she's, she's like this, and then she goes... What? What? What was that? Are, are we doing a podcast? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was, Besides I was looking, that, Jake. I was looking Jake. at Tristan's post. <laughs> Jake, Jake, you know me. Jake, we got to see Jake last I weekend. I would not sabotage his microphone. I would just beat the piss out of him uh, underneath the desk. She can't run faster than me, though. Okay. She can't run faster than me, so let me I, don't, I don't run. <laughs> so, Cash Landrum incident. Let's go ahead and start off where we were in the script. Uh, what's, what's fantastic about the Cash Landrum UFO incident is and, and a lot of times the way I started off this, uh, this week's script was that most of, most of, most people's, uh, encounters with UFOs are just that they're just unidentified flying objects. And that, that could mean, and this is not, not to get into the nitty gritty of, of technicality of what that means. But if you happen to see a bird that doesn't appear to be a bird, but it turns out to be a bird. Mm-hmm. We have a truck going by. That's fantastic to hear. Uh, and you don't identify it as a bird. 
technically a bird could be a UFO until yeah. it is identified as such. So if we go, if we move on, that, that's the stupid ins and outs of technicality and go into objects that are glowing orbs in the sky that could be airplanes until they maneuver in fashions and at speeds that couldn't be an airplane. That is that is what most people see in UFO in UFO sightings. Um, it isn't exactly the most exciting kind of sighting while intriguing it's not one that makes you go oh you know it doesn't make you shiver or anything right although there are some particularly particularly disturbing things with this case that this one yeah. allegedly happened yeah. after let me well let me get into i was just kind of like like funneling down into why this why, why this case is is in the echelon of other cases that are actually kind of spine tingling and the fact that like I said, most people see these, you know, these orbs of light and maybe they, they go around each other and it's kind of creepy, but it's not like a Travis Walton case yeah, where you uh, you get abducted or you see a literal shape, you hear a hum or something like that. So we're getting into, into the series of cases that not only uh, affect someone's mentality and make them question about whether or not there is extraterrestrial life in the universe, but in this case, you, you, you have a visual... That is very detailed. You have a visual that is more than just a glowing orb, and it's obviously not a craft that we, as humans, actively use. It's not. A, it's not a structure, shape of a ship that we commonly use. Now, we want to make sure that we we uh, specify that that sometimes people consider the SR twenty two, possibly the uh, some of some of the UFO sightings as a cause or solution how do you want to say that uh, the sr-22 would be in the blackhawk I, I hope i got the n numbers right my head isn't on straight today anyway it's getting hot in here by the second it's killing me so the blackhawk was the propri proprietary you know uh radar reflecting you know uh aircraft mm -hmm. being developed and so a lot of people think that when they were doing these tests maybe people saw these sr-22s at low altitudes and that would be uh what what they would consider something of, of of an alien craft because it looked vastly different from any other aircraft at the time this is again past that we still don't have any recognition of what this craft could be uh so with with that long-winded explanation I, I damn near fell asleep i'm sorry i'm sorry that's why you leave me here you, i don't have anybody else to talk with <laughs> yeah there's Petey. you literally look Oscar. at this i look over the monitors and you're literally going <laughs> well i'm looking at the comments <laughs> Oh wait, and then there's this, then there's this, there's whatever. This, there's this gem. <laughs> whatever. And then, and then one of these. And then we have. Oh, you got to get a napkin and get. And everybody who's watching knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, I don't like you. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. 9 p.m. and I don't have a date in the script. Did you let me do this script and not have it a starting date? 1980. Was it 1980? Um, I didn't write that in the first part yeah, of the script. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 1980. We have 1980 at 9 p.m. in Dayton, Texas, which lies about 20 miles. No, just north. We don't have we don't have specific. I work on too many scripts. Um, Dayton, Dayton, Texas, just north of Houston. Uh, Betty Cash, Vicky Landrum, and Vicky's seven-year-old grandson Colby will be driving down. Um, I don't call it a desolate road, but it is kind of a back road, two-lane yeah. two lane highway, surrounded on both sides, guarded on both sides by trees. A rather uneventful car ride until they happen upon a floating object in the sky just above the road. So they approach, they approach the object, which they describe as being diamond-shaped. Now, when I initially saw this or, or heard the shape of the craft, I'm thinking a diamond that's on its side. Right. So yeah. like, you, you stop and you look up and it's just like a diamond shape in the sky. Mm -hmm. But no, you, thank you for putting the picture up. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely like a upright diamond 
right? And all the sides, and this one, this rendition here on the screen, um, sorry for the audio, audio listeners here. Um, how can you describe that for the audio listeners? It's almost like two pyramids stacked base on base. Base on base, Right, yeah. floating in the air. So if you took one pyramid side up, took another pyramid, flipped it upside down, and put it on the base of the top pyramid, that's yeah. kind of what this what this looks like. Um, they had said that the sides of it were more rounded, and this depiction here makes it like more sharp. But all the sides were more rounded, but definitely the bottom um, of the pyramid was rounded. And they know that because not only was it rounded, but flames were visibly shooting out of yeah. it. Yeah. Now, what's actually crazy about this is when they approached it, they could they could feel the heat rising in the car, right? As they continue near it, mm-hmm. heat's starting to rise, starting to rise. And for some reason, Betty Cash just keeps driving. Yeah, <laughs> she I just know, keeps right? coming toward it. <laughs> right? So she and we're not gonna go as far as to say she was hypnotized, but man, she wanted to get close to it to the point that uh, Vicky Landrum would shout at her to stop the car. Mm-hmm. So then Betty obviously crammed on the brakes, just screeched into a halt, which threw Vicky forward in the car. Obviously, it's 1980. No one gives a crap about seatbelts. Oh, yeah. So she goes flying forward in the car and has to like brace herself against the dash. Well, apparently the heat was so intense that she left handprints in the dash. Now, what we don't have, and I've multiple sources that I've cited, multiple videos that I've watched, the handprints they're talking about, I don't know if literally went and like molded into the dash. Are we talking like sweat handprints? Because God, I have sweaty palms. I leave prints everywhere. I have seen um, where the grandson, who was what, seven years old Mm -hmm. at the time around in there, um, where he's an adult now and he's given interviews and talked about it. And Mm -hmm. he even talks about, I think he said though that it was her uh, in, in the steering wheel. Not actually in the dash, but it was in the steering wheel. Well, well no, because it was Vicky Landrum that got forced forward. Oh, okay. I, I could have heard he said steering wheel. Okay, now unless unless he's telling the story different, yeah. Uh, every other every other report that I have read on yeah. both written and on video says that while Betty Cash was in control of the car, thus holding the steering wheel, she slammed on the brakes, throwing Vicky Landrum in the passenger side forward. Yeah. And she went to brace herself on the dash. So regardless, she left some type of Yeah, they were in, in, in indentions, actually. It, oh, in, okay. Yeah, it wasn't just like fingerprints, you know. So the heat was at a point to actually, I, I don't know if it was plastic in the 80s or what. Yeah, whatever component. her hand started to mold into, into yeah. the dash. So, so now we're stopped. And of all the people in the car... Betty decides to have a great amount of courage, uh, stupidity, because we all know there's a fine line between the two. Yeah. <laughs> and already this blistering heat to make one's hands go into a dash. She gets out of the car and decides to get a closer look. And again, as she's moving forward towards the object to get a better look, the heat is just rising and rising and rising, which makes total sense if whatever object this is or its origins, if it's shooting flames out of the bottom of it, it's not going to be a freezer below it. Yeah. So she keeps trying to approach it and she would go on to describe the heat as cooking her from the inside out. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, regardless of whatever happens from here on out, just heat would probably make you feel that way. Yeah. Right? So she's sitting there, and she's she's looking at it, and she knows there's lights kind of coming around it on all sides, and it's just floating there. Mm-hmm. Right? So by this point, again, hero Vicky Landrum yells at her, let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. Right? yeah. Because uh, maybe some type of combination of fear and, and intrigue just made her just freeze in the yeah. spot, that being Betty Cash. So Betty Cash would hear, hear Vicky yell at her, let's get out of here, and she would slowly turn and start to go back. And without even thinking about it, 
uh, she reached for the handle of the car, and the car wouldn't be immune <coughs> to the car wouldn't be immune to this heat either. And she would actually scald her hand. That would be hot. Yeah, on the metal. I'm assuming just flat out metal of a car from 1980, and she would have to use her coat to kind of like open it up and get back inside. Mm-hmm. So as they're inside, they still don't quite leave yet, and the in the and the object starts to you know rise. You know, I th- I think they were about 130 feet from it, and it begins to slowly rise above the tree line. Soon after that, multiple helicopters come flying over, spotlights blaring, right? And if it were one or two helicopters, like, that'd be impressive enough. Yeah. But uh, we word it here in the script as being 23 to 26 helicopters. That's a lot of helicopters. Now, in some of the written written reports I have read, there was a, a disparagement between whether or not it was 23 or 26. If you watch the Unsolved Mysteries episode, Vicki Landrum says she counted 23, but then Colby says, oh, there's one more. Or 22, and then Colby says, oh, there's one more, making it 23. So if we're going to go with what the eyewitness says from that episode, she says there's 23. So we're not quite sure from there with, like I said, with the confliction of, of the written reports afterwards, as well as the episode from Vicki Landrum herself. So eventually, they leave. Now, I say they just leave without getting any detail because I don't know if they all raised up out of the sky or if they all flew off in a horizontal direction. Mm-hmm. That's not really specified. Yeah. But regardless, they go away. Okay? So, obviously, there's nothing to look at anymore. The three go back home, and that night, within six hours, they all start feeling ill, mm-hmm. all three of them. First, Vicky would be in her, I'm assuming, night clothes or whatever, gets up in the middle of the night and vomits. She starts. She doesn't feel well, nausea, mm-hmm. headache, she vomits. And then, I'm assuming soon after, Colby wakes up yelling for her, just yelling for some water. So she goes in and notices that he, too, has vomited all over his bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, he's just burning up hot. So something something is, is affecting affecting both Vicky and, and Colby. Uh, the next morning, I believe it was, Vicky would go to Betty Cash's house. Maybe it was a couple of days later because Betty hasn't responded to any of her phone calls or anything like that. Mm-hmm. She would go over and find Betty Cash in a much worse state than either herself or Colby. Uh, she would go into her house, which I believe uh, Betty Cash would still be in bed, covered in blisters. Uh, she would, what else was there? Again, nausea, headache. She mm-hmm. would feel sick. She would also request water like Colby had. So... Betty Cash would go on in this condition, deteriorating until January 1st. And 20, January, January 1st, she'd be at the point that she couldn't deny it any longer, and she'd have to go to the hospital. Yeah. So upon going to the hospital, which is, which is actually fantastic about this case, um, again, with all the written reports and, and that episode from Unsolved Mysteries, uh, they actually had the doctor who initially started treating her, and that would be Dr. Brian McClellan, I believe from a Houston I would imagine. Um, I think it was like a suburb of Houston, and I don't know that right offhand, but regardless. um, He would go on to start treating her for acute radiation poisoning, and he's devoutly sure that what she was experiencing was uh, high doses of radiation. He put it akin to if you were about three to four miles from the epicenter of Hiroshima. Mm -hmm. So that's... That's crazy. That's quite a bit. I think... Here's a side note. I think ultimately, um, we've seen maybe pictures, maybe videos of atomic testing, maybe even of the Hiroshima blast itself. But without actually being there, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to be there, uh, we could say, wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But like, we really don't know ourselves mm-hmm. how crazy that really is. Oh, yeah. So that's one thing I want to mention because I think it's going to come back up a little later, right? Being three to four miles from the epicenter from a huge mushroom cloud that absolutely decimated Hiroshima. So let's let's move on. 
Uh, after Betty's release from the hospital, they all still started experiencing these things. Uh, the nausea, the headaches, and, and everything else. And they're getting worse. Uh, only Betty Cash's is getting yeah. worse. Yep. Vicky and Colby will slowly start to get better, but they will still experience, at least in part, some of these some of these side effects for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, Be- uh, Betty Cash would go on to contact, and I can never say his name, John Schusler. 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 S-C-H-E-U-S-S-E-L. That name Schusler. is just terrible for my tongue. John <laughs> Schusler. <laughs> It would, it would work for an unnamed aeronautic engineering firm and also happened to be a MUFON investigator. He would immediately come to Texas and start investigating what had happened, taking all three of them back to where the the sighting occurred. Now, the first thing that he noticed, and this should be at the top of any investigator's list, is the sincerity and the, and the conciseness. How concise they were. <laughs> is that a word? Conciseness? What is that for? I don't even know. We're just going to make them up concise? as we go along. I don't know. Screw it. So how concise and honest they were, uh, seemingly, with their with a recitation of, of what had happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, next would be the visible scorch marks on the pavement from where they had said the object was kind of hovering. And obviously the stream, the jet, the cascading flames from the bottom obviously left marks mm-hmm. on the pavement. So he said they were clearly visible from the naked eye. And I believe there was at least one or two pictures of it beforehand. And I say beforehand because then a couple weeks later, he, he would come back to check the spot mm-hmm. and they wouldn't be there. And he would actually get eyewitness testimony saying that after they had done the initial investigation, sometime after the sighting happened, obviously also after Schusler had initially came there, uh, that unmarked trucks would come in, dig up the asphalt, replace it with new asphalt, and haul away what was left. So... For some reason, somebody thought it pertinent to come out and replace the asphalt. Mm-hmm. So that was gone. But I think he had documented beforehand. Even so, it being clearly seen without any type of, of aerial photograph or anything. You could clearly see these scorch marks on the pavement. So that's where I was in the script. Now I lost my place. So Schusler would carry on and not only interview the three, but then he would go down the entirety of the houses on either side of the road for 10 miles and interview everybody that lived along that stretch of road for 10 miles. Uh, in that 10 miles, he had 10 other people attest that they had seen something in the sky. They couldn't exactly describe what it was, but there was an object in the sky. Seven of those 10 people interviewed also witnessed the helicopters. That's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. You have anything to say? No. Nothing yet. No. I feel like I feel like I'm just talking. <laughs> I want to. I keep wanting to be like. <laughs> I know. I see it. <laughs> but I know you're going to be like, not yet. No. Shut up. No, this is the time. Do you have Shut some, up. Do you have Shut something up. you want to add in? Well, I think just the fact that, you know, and we're going to get into it late. See, that's why I don't want to say anything just yet. Go ahead. Well, if you have thoughts, go ahead. Uh, well, just, you know, the believability of them. Okay. You know, you have, you have uh, Betty Cash having this radiation poisoning. It's extreme mm-hmm radiation poisoning like okay so that's that's number one yeah you know but then you have seven other people not with betty cash or vicky landrum mm-hmm. separate you know separate from this the residents that he interviewed? yeah who okay. also witnessed seeing this craft and the helicopters mm-hmm. so i think again there's number two you no. know, as far as believability, oh, yeah. Yeah, as far course, as yeah. believability, corroborating evidence is, is a big thing. <laughs> I mean, especially if people don't, I'm depending on how far they were away from their homes. I mean, as long as you're not like 
I don't even want to say this because it sounds accusatory, but like buddy buddy neighbors who may look out for each other. Oh yeah. I don't think this is the case because you have ten miles and they were. I don't know. How, yeah. I don't think they were that far from their house, but I don't think they were like miles and miles and miles away. Yeah. But people who relatively don't know much of each other, you know, corroborating the same story mm-hmm. that have no real. F- Gains to be had? Yeah, so that's kind of a ding-ding there. Being an ancillary report. Yeah. yeah that's understandable. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, of one of those, uh, one of those seven people that had seen Kraft was Detective Sergeant L.L. L. Walker, which, by the way, is a fantastic name. It is. It is. I don't know if we have many people like that anymore that don't use this technique for just pen names, but having two initials and then your last name just sounds prestigious, does it not? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I don't know why people just don't do that more. But T- Detective Sergeant L.L. Walker would be uh, a police officer. I'm not sure if he was retired at the time or if it was when he was in active duty. But at the time they had seen it, he was not working. Mm. So regardless of whether or not he was retired or not, he wasn't on duty when he, when he also seen the helicopters. And he would be certain they were military helicopters. Mm-hmm. So Betty and Vicky would not be content with just letting this go. They wanted to bring it to someone's attention. So they would actually write... Two Texas congressmen, mm-hmm. and they actually named them in the Unsolved Mysteries episode. So if you want to know their actual names, go ahead and check it out. Uh, I will not repeat them here just because I didn't put them in. I th- felt it was too closely mirroring. But they did write two Texas congressmen. They received a reply that the nearby Bergstrom Air Force Base there in Texas uh, would be notified of the incident. Uh, August of 1981, Vicky and Betty would be uh, would be invited. Ooh, excuse me, soda pop, to come to Bergstrom to go over what happened with them. On that haunted, on that haunting night, so the Air Force would get back with them, say, hey, "Why don't you come in and tell us what happened?" And this is where this is where we start the ball rolling on on an interesting, not not an aside, but mm-hmm. different path that this story is going to take. Both Vicky and Betty would say that upon entering the room that they were going to be interviewed in, they noticed a big map, and on the map was a pin exactly where the uh, the sighting took place. Mm-hmm. Now, they also had a a stenographer, a military stenographer, mm-hmm. taking notes of the entire interview. The interview lasted for more than two hours, where they were asked about specifics of the incident, um, the overall explanation of the side effects they sustained after the incident, and what else was there? What they wanted. And they also and they also requested her to remove her wig. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Because by this point, Betty Cash would be losing her hair. Um, starting off in patches. Which you can see here in the picture. Oh, yep, right there. Yep, yep. starting off in patches and growing more and more and more. Um, Not exactly bald, but a considerable amount of hair being lost. That that would be devastating. Yes, it would be. The interview, uh, the interviewers would then ask uh, how they knew the helicopters were military ones, and they would the the well Betty Cash, Vicky Landrum would say that they knew they were military because they seen the words United States Air Force printed on the sides of the helicopters. Mm -hmm. Um, The military interviewers would go on to say that they don't have any indication that there were any type of military activities going on in the area. Um, even more so the air force. Mm-hmm. So then they asked, they asked the, the witnesses what they felt that the air force needed to do. Why, what were they asking? What, what were they there yeah, for? What do you want right? us to do? What do they want to, what do they want them to do about it? And Betty Cash requested that the Air Force help with medical fi- medical bills mm-hmm. because they felt the Air Force being, if it was an Air Force vehicle or vehicles, they were partially responsible. So I'm confused at this time as to whether or not uh, Cash and Landrum believe this object to be a military vehicle itself. 
That's what I was kind of wondering. Or like did some they, test? Yeah. Some, some kind of test craft? Yeah. Or did they actually think that it was a UFO? UFO? So if you think it was a UFO, then you I don't see how you would have logically. <laughs> yeah. How can you blame the the, gov- the military? How yes. can you blame them? That's like if trying they're just trying to pursue this craft. That's like trying to sue Parks and Recreation because you get mauled by a bear. Kind of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, and it's not explicitly said what their mentality was mm-hmm. about the craft. Yeah. Which is, I find it very, very interesting. So at this point, do all three witnesses think they're just seeing an experimental test craft that they got that wasn't radiation was being, fallout from 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 this object that wasn't supposed to be being tested there it's not a proper testing spot so then now they're they're liable for it regardless the interviewers would say that they don't they didn't think that the air force was was responsible for the damages but they would uh inquire or tell them not inquire they would tell them to fill out a a claim and then they would be reviewed and then they would get back with them of course, as you might think, four weeks later, they got the answer back with a big fat no. Zilch. Nothing. Claims were denied. So both Vetty, Vetty, Vetty and Vicky, uh, not wanting to let this die, filed a lawsuit in 1982 to the U.S. Air Force. A suit was automatically dismissed by a federal judge. Wouldn't even see him due to lack of evidence. Um, with no further avenues, they kind of felt deflated. So what, what to do now? <coughs> and their only real option was just... Yeah, what are you going to do? To let it go. Yeah. I mean, they don't really have any other choice. They've done all that they could during a legal process. Hey, Dad, how's it going? (laughs) Um, We're actually late to go eat dinner with him, so I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) Technical issues the most of the day. So they carry on with their lives, and there's not much more you can do. So, and what we have now at this point, let me see here. Um, Betty would go on to be hospitalized Mm -hmm. at least once a year for the rest of her life, sometimes more. Uh, she would acquire multiple types of cancer, um, as well as both Vicky and Colby would have uh, reduced white blood cell counts and weakened immune systems. And Vicky would go on to lose her sight before her death in 2007. Mm-hmm. All claimed to be side effects of radiation exposure. Yeah. Now, we, we, <laughs> I take a pause because we believe in the paranormal and we believe in the extraterrestrial. We do believe in all the things that we cover in part. Or in whole, pending. Now, we are individuals, and we do have varying opinions on whether or not we believe a certain story more than, a, than the other. Or maybe even we, we differ on our opinion, opinions as to what's causing the particular topic. Maybe mm-hmm. you believe it's more spiritual. Maybe I think it's more magical. Who knows, right? But in, in this case, we can't let this case go without coming up with some counterpoints yeah, you, i couldn't yeah. anyway you have to you have to look at all the angles you, yes all you do. the evidence if you will and this one has some pretty damning evidence for some of it having to do with this case um skeptoid.com had an author in 2018 named brian dunning who would write a piece about this and he would really get into the nitty-gritty as to the the counter arguments to everything that had happened so if you get a chance to go over to to Skeptoid, look up the Brian Dunning article for the Cash Landrum incident. And it is very enlightening. Mm-hmm. Okay, first, uh, and we and we got to say it, right? I don't want to make any guesses as to their age when this happens. But if I can make a, ga- a, a gauge of estimate of age, uh, when Vicki Landrum and Betty Cash were on the Unsolved Mysteries episode in 1990, they weren't young pups. Oh, no, they no. Were, they were decently old. 
I'd say they, they had to have been pushing 60-some by then. You know, if I had to guess. Yeah. Low-end, absolute low-end 50s. But I would have probably have to guess 60s-ish, right? So if Vicky Landrum lived until 2007 and she was around 60-ish in 1990, could we not argue that there's a possibility that her loss of sight was due to just her getting old? Oh, you could, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But not, but not to this story. Because they blame the radiation. They blame the effects of the yeah. of the object. Um, so that's the first thing he brings up. Well, that's the first thing I bring up as well. Does age <coughs> and genetics play a factor into any of this? Now, he also finds um, conflicting diagnosis for Betty Cash from another doctor who had actually diagnosed her with alopecia before the incident happened. So if you're unfamiliar autoimmune with, related alopecia. Oh, I didn't realize there was yeah. I thought it was just alopecia. No. Okay. So <laughs> if you're unfamiliar with what autoimmune alopecia is, um, it essentially makes your hair fall out. Yes. Right? Mm. But not just usually on your head. It's usually all over your body. Correct. Right? Correct. Um, patches just kind of go away until you're just can we say naked? You're still wearing clothes, kind obviously, well, but you're yeah. naked of hair. Yeah. Right? No mustache or anything like that. No armpit hair. I don't think any of that no. usually stays. So as the pictures, if you're watching the live feed now, the pictures that you see, like she, like the, her skin looks pretty wrinkly. Okay? I don't want to say that. So she looks kind of old already when the pictures were taken. And I say that because, like, with alopecia, like, is there any late onset alopecia? I would, you know what, though? I would be curious to see. Okay, let's just draw a line in the sand here. Mm -hmm. What symptoms... If these were supposed, if these symptoms were brought about by some autoimmune disorder, what were the s the known symptoms before the incident? Yeah. Like, give me a list of all their symptoms before. Mm -hmm. Draw that line in the sand. Now let's look at their symptoms after this the supposed event. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and how quick was the onset? That's true. Um, but I think that has to also be calibrated against. The average, how, how on average alopecia affects anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and another thing, too, is, you know, granted, these two, these women had a lot of health issues that were supposedly brought about. Yeah. The from this radiation poisoning. Varying types of cancer, the eye yes. loss. I think Betty Cash eventually um, contracted uh, cataracts. Yeah. In her eyes. Um, so moving moving forward unless but, you were, but i just okay. want to say what are you know okay fine if they are each suffering from autoimmune or or this and they're both exhibiting symptoms of radiation poisoning yeah what are the chances that two separate individuals are going to have the same symptoms without including in this incident that is true Do you see what i'm saying no that is true but um so that's just one thing to look at. People there. who have alopecia also, I don't believe, blister up, do they? No. I've never, because I've known two people to have alopecia. I don't know any, um, because with me having, I have MCTD, mixed connective tissue disease. Which, which is different from which, alopecia. Well, which is, but it basically means that I collect autoimmune diseases. So mm -hmm. like I have lupus, I have RA, I have scleroderma, and I'm just going to continue to get more autoimmune diseases. So, which is common when you have any type of autoimmune disease. Yeah. Um, so it's really common. So that's what I'm saying here is that you have two separate people. What are the chances? And they're not related. Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, they were just friends mm -hmm. uh, along with Vicky's grandson. Yeah. So what are the chances that both of these women, you know, and they're from a small town in Texas. So, mm -hmm. you know, like they're not doing weird stuff. Yeah. You know, they're not conducting science experiments, chemi chemistry experiments in their 
backyard, what are the chances that each of these women would both experience these same symptoms mm-hmm. that was not related to this UFO well, incident? Well, I think this in particular, they, they did experience different ones, and that's they that Brian Dunning, with his conflicting diagnosis of the regarding the hair loss, yeah, that Vicky Landerman Cor, Land, Colby Landrum didn't experience hair loss, but Betty Cash did. Yeah, so I think he was saying that the that that was caused by alopecia, because Vicky Landerman didn't have alopecia and she didn't lose her hair. Yeah, but but also she didn't get out and go. No, that's true. You know, so that's but that's 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 not a nail in a coffin, but that's a pretty big red flag that someone who has has been diagnosed with the disease before an event happened actually uh, exhibited something. From that, from that disease. True, but even if we take if we take the alopecia completely out of the equation, mm-hmm. she is not going to come up with these blisters on her skin. No, that's true. From an autoimmune disease. That's true. So let's move on to that. The blisters. She had blisters on her hands. And again, if you're watching this live stream, yeah, you if you're not it. watching this live stream, you can actually find these pictures very easily if you do a Google, Google search on a Cash Landrum incident. These photos, I believe, were uh, taken and used by the show That's Incredible uh, sometime in, in the early 80s. Uh, the first picture that we have on the bottom left there shows a, like an overhead shot of almost an, a perfectly centered mm-hmm. abrasion because it's in black and white. It's kind of fuzzy uh, abrasion. Now, I believe that the picture all the way on the right is a picture of the same abrasion, which you could tell is raised up. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even really look like a blister. It looks like a growth of some kind. Yeah, it kind of does. It doesn't look like a sunburn or anything like that. And I explicitly say sunburn because Brian Denning uh, cites also, I believe it's still from That's Incredible, there was a skeptical doctor who took a look at these pictures. And that doctor from that show actually thought that it was caused um, intentionally on herself by her by Betty Cash cutting circles in like a fabric and then exposing herself to sunlight. Yeah, like laying it across your hand where only that circle yeah. is visible. Yeah. Now my problem you know. my problem with that is, and again I'm not a doctor, but but you remember and you've had your own your own stories that you've told me, but it's so I can be a part of this and understand this. Do you remember that one time we went to uh, I went to the pool and I went for entirely too long without any lo- uh, you know sun lotion on, and I was burnt. Pretty bad. Yeah. Not hospitalization burnt, which my friend Tony was. I believe he went oh, to the no. hospital. Remember oh my that? Gosh, yeah. Yeah, but he was a redhead, so he got he just got burnt to a crisp. Right. And I was super red to the point that that was when you whipped out the technique of the tea bath. Tea bath. So you take a box of Lipton tea and you string them all together and you throw them in. Yeah, you get the water as warm as you can stand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, dump the tea bags in there, let it brew yeah. for a minute or two, and then get in. And something about the tea takes out the sting in the burn. Yeah. I know that sounds crazy, but it works. It works. Now, from that experience, though, me being burned pretty bad, not again, not as much to require hospitalization, but being burned pretty bad looks in no way like that. Yeah. That does not look like that at all. No. And I was out in the sun all day and no protection. Mm -hmm. So in theory, if we're going to apply the same logic, my whole body should have looked like that. Yeah. And there's no way I look like that. Oops, so is someone stretching? We got dogs. Oh, it's Petey wanting in, probably. We got dogs <laughs> scratching. Uh, so if you if you get the time, take a look at it. Trista says, in my opinion, there's no chance that it would be naturally, uh, that would naturally happen to both women at the same time. Right? Not to mention the proof of extreme radiation. Exactly. Now, there are also other conflicting results of their radiation levels weren't any higher than any other person's. Now, again, this is not, this is, we're, we're solely looking at Dr. McClellan's 
um, diagnosis when we speak of this radiation poisoning. Now, at the same time, too, there is documentation that three weeks later, after Dr. McClellan initially had seen Betty Cash, that she was then treated for acute radiation poisoning. Mm -hmm. So... I would imagine that the hospital, you know, the facility as a whole wouldn't allow that to happen without a proper diagnosis because I would assume that having a treatment for something that you don't have probably isn't great for you. Oh, no. And something as bad as, as radiation poisoning, I don't know what the treatment is for that. I don't know, but I imagine it wouldn't be anything fun. No. So you probably you probably see adverse effects if she didn't have that, mm-hmm. uh, acute, uh, as in acute radiation poisoning. And, and it really boggles my mind, too. Thinking, okay, if if this wasn't a, a, a an actual UFO encounter, mm-hmm. what else could have possibly given? Where else could she possibly have gotten this radiation poisoning? Yeah, what could she have been around that would have delivered that much radiation to her? And I'm at a loss. Mm-hmm. I legit cannot think of anything. There's not a real good reason for that. No, I mean, there's not a good there's not a good solution. No. Um, there's not much going on in East yeah. Texas. Where where is a Texas grandma gonna find? Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying. If this yep. was some type of story, just manufactured to, you know, maybe to cash in on, you know, what they're trying to get out of the government for this this money for being injured. If it was just something like that, I I find it really hard because remember too, this isn't like we have now, where you have the internet and you have access to you, you researching things easily at the. Mm-hmm. At the click of a of a mouse yeah you know we're talking the, the early 80s mm-hmm. you know technology yeah. then and her being a, a, a simple grandma in texas it, it just really makes me yeah and trista trista goes on to say doctors make mistakes too trust me i know and that's true but that that same logic could go against you trista if you're trying to argue that this was a legitimate extraterrestrial case uh yes doctors do make mistakes so is dr mcclellan mistaken for any reason or another if, even if it's not malicious is is he mistaken yeah like trista said exactly they weren't nuclear science scientists mm-hmm. that's what i'm saying no but you could you, you could, know you could ascertain whether or not someone's you know radiation filled you with know, and then a geiger counter which isn't a hard machine to operate yeah and but then there's there's you know we got to bring in like i was saying in the beginning here apart from uh betty cash and vicky landrum and you know little colby here you also have seven other people who saw this event take place. I mean, you're ruining, so that just you're ruining kind my timeline. Of, that just kind of ruins it. Yeah, you're ruining my timeline. See, that's why. Another, you're, all right, talk. <laughs> no, 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 not that. Shut up, shut up, shut up. It's like, you know, perfectly. Are you going to talk? Shut up. You know perfectly what to say <laughs> to ruin my my uh, my segues. Uh, anyway, uh, Daryl asked, did the young boy have all the same symptoms? He had the same symptoms as Vicky Landrum did. So that would be nausea, the headaches, um, the vomiting and stuff like that, the, the dehydration. But it mm-hmm. wouldn't go as far as what Betty Cash would experience. In Losing this, the hair. Yeah. In this case, Betty Cash really got the shit out of the stick. Yeah, she did. Pardon my French. So we go on from there. And uh, we talked about the, uh, the holes in the material that that the doctor supposedly said that she used. Uh, Dunning would then go on to accuse uh, Schusler, the MUFON investigator, of cherry-picking evidence uh, to support an extraterrestrial solution. Mm-hmm. Now, from what we read, what I, we've discussed so far is what I researched. To cherry-pick, you could cherry-pick, but if you if you go through and interview 10 people, mm-hmm. or interview, I'm sorry, if you go through and interview 50 people within a 10-mile radius, I don't know that that's how many he actually interviewed, uh, but if you interview 50 people and 10 of them say, yeah, we saw an object in the sky, what feasibly do you think the other 40 people are going to are gonna say? No, we didn't see anything. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean they were standing outside looking up at the sky and no, there wasn't anything there. For one reason or another, they didn't notice anything in the sky. So why would you explicitly say that? I'm sure there was a report and he probably kept names and like a like a ledger or a list saying whether or not someone had seen something, blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm-hmm. But case in point of the 10 people, seven people had seen the military helicopters, which if. And we see this a lot with UFO cases. A lot of these UFOs don't make any noises. Mm-hmm. And I can almost guarantee this one did with it shooting jets of fire. Yeah. It's going to make a noise. But let's just give it the benefit of the doubt that this fire was relatively quiet when it when it exited the vehicle. You still hear helicopters. Mm-hmm. You are on the north side of our town, right? Directly down Main Street. I mean, you're not really on the north side. I lied. You used to live on the north, street, yeah. north side. <laughs> when you lived on the north side of town, it was directly down Main Street, what, maybe 10 miles to our hospital, which has a landing pad, landing pad on top for a life flight helicopter mm-hmm. that would go between Findlay, Ohio and Toledo, Ohio. Every time it passed over, you could hear it. Yeah. And by the time it crossed your house, I would imagine it would be at the max altitude that they usually get, right? Probably, yeah. And I'm not sure of... of any type of regulations to to cite here but if this thing is 130 feet 130 feet away from from betty cash when she's witnessing it hovering over the road Mm -hmm. it's close enough to the road that it's making scorch marks on the pavement Mm -hmm. right so it's feasibly not that far off the ground making these helicopters who start approaching it not that far off the ground Mm -hmm. so you would think of the 10 mile radius that that Schusler had interviewed these people, that people would have at least heard the helicopters. Yeah. Right? So for one reason or another, they didn't. So of those 10 people, seven of them did. So why would you, if you're worried about the other 40 not saying that they've seen anything, why would you bring that as evidence? Yeah. Right? So I, I know that's a roundabout way to kind of say, I don't believe that he was cherry picking when everything was documented. Mm-hmm. He would bring to you the entirety of the evidence, right? Yeah. Now, uh, Dunning doesn't go into how he says Schusler was cherry-picking because you're going to provide the evidence that you found. Now, maybe he was insinuating that Schusler does believe it was an extraterrestrial craft. Now, as a MUFON investigator, that's not your goal, mm-hmm. okay? Now, and this is kind of the fundamental problem in my eyes with MUFON. You generally join MUFON because you're interested in extraterrestrial sightings, sightings of UFOs, yeah. right? If I don't give a crap about it, I don't believe anything in it, I don't want to hang out with a bunch of UFO nerds who think it is, True. right? So you're going to you're going to attract people who already kind of believe in a, in a field of investigation that you need to be unbiased. You need to take data and evidence the way it comes, not to service whatever agenda you have. And that was what was perfect about Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Yeah. Okay, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, and I, I, was, I was trying to plan a small miniseries for this in the future. I don't know if it's going to come to fruition or not. But Dr. J. Allen Hynek was hired, I believe, was it, and this, this is lack of research, but it doesn't matter because it wasn't for today's podcast. Uh, was it like... <laughs> for Project Blue Book? Blue, was it Blue Book? Well, but there was one before well, it Blue was, Book. Yeah. Um, that I think he was hired for. Now. Yeah, to actually disprove. To debunk. Yeah, to, de- to debunk it. To, to say and, that And no. he was initially a, a you know, diehard... UFOs are not real. They're not real. You know, and that's how he went into it. But through his years of investigation and talking yep. to people who had these supposed events, he ran into cases where, and a good a good portion of the cases he investigated, he could find legitimate reasons, reasons explanations. Yeah. But there was that, you know, there were some that yeah. he couldn't. Yeah. And through doing that, and they just kept it kept reappearing. So eventually. 
uh, it made him into a believer. Yeah. But but the point the point of the matter in this in this instance is that even after he became a believer after case after case after yeah. case of it looking legitimately like it wasn't anything of of what he could explain, mm-hmm. he still came into every case trying to document data and seeing mm-hmm. what the data told him, not what he wanted to achieve from the data. Yeah. So with with this with Schusler. Maybe Dunning is alluding to the fact that Schuster already believes in UFOs and he's trying to actually push that agenda. But from yeah. but from all the evidence that we have, it was decently strong evidence, that now we're in the portion of the podcast, I'm sorry, that we're going to try to add counterpoints to. So I understand, but then I don't understand. And then I also understand a separate whole thing where if you join an organization, usually you have an interest in it and it's not usually the opposite. I don't go on a paranormal ghost hunting adventure if, like... I just don't believe it unless probably someone talks me into it. Hey, Alex, we know that you don't believe in ghosts at all. Would you mind coming with us and being the skeptic yeah. that we need? Yeah. So I don't, I understand. I don't understand Dunning's accusation on this. One last thing. And this is kind of a big thing. Okay. I don't mean to crush your dreams, Trista, but this last thing here, <clears throat> both Betty and Vicky fervently believe and tell within detail that these were military uh, helicopters. Yeah, they okay? were adamant about that. That they were not only military helicopters, but they were Air Force mm-hmm. helicopters. Okay? Now, we didn't say it before, but we'll say it now. They described twin rotor helicopters like Chinooks or I don't think it was quite a Black Hawk, but, but regardless, a twin rotor helicopter. Mm-hmm. Okay? They say they know that, it's, uh, that it was Air Force's because they had literally seen United States Air Force printed on the sides of the helicopters. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, coming up with with someone who had, was in the military at the time, and this is Dunning's research, uh, his interviewer, interviewee, had said that the only problem with that is the U.S. Air Force did not own any twin rotor helicopters at the time. Uh, our military did have them, uh, but only in that area was the National Guard and the Navy had twin rotor helicopters. I thought it was the Army. I'm sorry, Army. Yeah. Yeah, Army. National Guard and Army, but the U.S. Air Force did not. Uh, on top of that, any insignia that goes on in a U.S. Air Force helicopter is printed in small black type, which they Dunning firmly believes that they would not be able to see. Now, I wanted to actually physically go outside in the dark and test this, actually bring out 130 feet. And it was going to be a little bit here, a little bit there, because I believe the object started raising when the helicopters came over. So it's going to be a little more than 130 feet. Mm-hmm. Plus, they were moving, but then they also encircled it as well. And circled the object to see if I can actually make out something like that. I'm not sure how the experiment would work for me to properly test that. But uh, the only real way that you would, be, would have been able to tell for sure at that distance, at that time of day, would have been to see the Air Force insignia, which no one made mention of. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that is almost w- one of the biggest damning arguments. Now, to backtrack again, to play double agent, the... Uh, was it L.L. Walker, yeah. the, the, the detective who mm-hmm. had seen also seen the military helicopters? He was also convinced that it was military, but he doesn't go into exactly what he had seen to, to make him think that it was military. Yeah. So whether or not they were military or they weren't, whether or not Betty and Vicky were fervently believing that it was U.S. Air Force or not, that's still very murky on top of that. Cherry on top. In my opinion, though, that was standing. If that's like the only thing that is kind of, uh, you know, about this case, 
Maybe they were mistaken about that. You know, they were in a situation, uh, a high anxiety situation. So maybe it was that they just didn't read it right. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. And you know what? In many other cases, we would write this off as, as a small as a small discrepancy of a small discrepancy but apparently it was a big thing to both vicky and betty that no this was a u.s yeah. air force helicopter yeah and you know that for sure because they went to bergstrom air force base to complain they filed a lawsuit for mm -hmm. 20 million dollars later against the air force and not the federal government and not any other branch of the military so also Col colby and we and I, this was a short little addendum to that Colby, while in an interview, would uh, – okay, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. The interviewers would ask Vicky and Betty to draw a picture of any of the identifying factors on the helicopter, and they would start drawing and explaining what they had seen and what they had read. And Colby would perk up and say, oh, do you mean the helicopter that landed in Dayton? To which they quickly shushed him. Yeah. So is there – is there, uh, oh, Daryl chimes in, Chinooks for, tro for troop transport? I thought it would be Hueys when I glanced up and I was looking at the picture. I don't know why they would send those. Would have been more likely Hueys. Hueys, yeah. And that's true. For all of you who, who uh, didn't understand that, the Chinooks, the twin the twin rotor Chinooks were those big badass helicopters they had, mm -hmm. I believe, at least starting in Vietnam, correct, with yeah. the Chinooks? Mm -hmm. And they were troop transports. They looked like just basically flying tanks. Weren't really meant for combat. They were meant for transport. So why would you send a troop transport helicopter to investigate an unidentified object? Mm -hmm. Which is a good question. And Unless I thought about that, too. Unless they were picking up something. They, Someone. They, they did have their spotlights on. So if these helicopters are going above these trees, you know, running their spotlights across the ground, but then your target is in the air, why would you need your spotlights on the ground? Sense. Unless they were just like, and this is just reaching here. Let's just say they let them dangle on their on their mouths. They're just kind of hanging. You know what I'm talking about? Just like wow, Jim, get on the get on the freaking light, Jim. <laughs> Jim's all cranked. Poor Jim. <laughs> Bye, Jim. I don't know. So if you're if you're trying to ascertain whether or not a target in the sky is a bogey or not, uh, why would you have a spotlight on the ground? That's true. So that 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 also is another discrepancy that I thought about. Thank you for reminding me, Daryl. Um, between that so also with colby piping up and being quickly shushed about the quote helicopter that landed in dayton uh did they see another aircraft like at an air show or maybe driving by and they happen to see it land in dayton and they kind of applied it to this it's making it sound really weird yeah that they would that they would have just enough knowledge of something to be able to apply it to a situation to to even allow them in the Air Force Base for an interview mm -hmm. and then not technically be correct in what it could have been. So all of that aside is giving the government and the military full trust in what they were saying. No, there weren't any military things going on in the area. Why? No, we don't have any record. Pa paper shuffle, paper shuffle. No, nope, nothing. <laughs> nothing, right? And then, you know, the government wouldn't cover anything up. No. So, no. so... All of that still feels a bit odd that if we're going to take it at face value, right, we have multiple witnesses besides the main three, okay? Now, one could automatically just deduct a lot of credibility now that we have a lawsuit for $20 million. And we had talked about this before before we started recording. $20 million in 1980? That's for, a lot of money. For pain and suffering? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't doubt what. 85% of businesses in the United States are worth $20 million at the time. But yet, these ladies want $20 million for their hospital stay in pain and suffering. Yeah, that does seem ex rather extreme, extreme to me. A little bit. A little bit. So it, maybe they were trying to overshoot 
in in lieu of or in in hopes of maybe a bargain. So not twenty, but they're going to set their bar. We'll give high. you ten. They, oh, fine. Sold American. Yes, yeah, sold American. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but a lot of people would automatically deduct a lot of of merit from them, yeah. knowing that they tried to gain financially from it because twenty million dollars is not only paying your medical bills, it's going to be paying your family members for like three generations if you play your cards yeah. right. Four generations, five generations. You could buy an island with twenty if million invest, dollars. <laughs> if you invest it right, you're now in Forbes. I'm going to buy know? me an island and I'm going to go live there because. Stuff like this does not happen yeah. on islands. Yeah. Um, Trista just had a very long comment about a UFO that they had witnessed at a fireworks show. Uh, Trista, pardon us for not um, reading that on air. We do hope to have write-ins for some shows in the future. And you already know that. So keep that on the back burner for us. Um, I don't I don't want to read the whole thing because then that just ruins content for us. So put it in the bank. Put it in the bank. Send it. Put it in the bank. Put it in the bank. <laughs> So after conflicting diagnosis, issues with placing the current hardware with the current uh, uh, correct hardware with the correct organization, and the attempt at financial benefit, we're still left with some uh, evidence that cannot be denied. Again, multiple witnesses passed who the people were that were trying to financially benefit the principal witnesses, um, as well as the the pictures taken of the scorched pavement that were later dug up and replaced. So whether or not you actually trust what the military was saying at the moment. Um, and you know what? I keep going back. I don't know if I've gone back with this podcast, but I use it in a in a natural setting when I'm just going on diatribes without a microphone in front of my face. But like the Bikini Bay experiment. Do you know anything about that? Mm, yeah. <laughs> there was a movie called Atomic Cafe that I think kind of delves into that. Essentially, it was the atomic testing, uh, I believe, in was it Los Alamos? In, the, in, in I, the American Southwest. Yeah. If you're not from the United States. In the American Southwest, Arizona, New Mexico area, it's where we initially started testing testing nuclear bombs. <clears throat> Excuse me. And what they would do is they would ask for volunteers from the military and they would set them like five, 10 miles out from the epicenter of a nuclear blast. Mm -hmm. And you'd have like this, you know, the series of light training before they had done this. And it was kind of funny if you ever watched that movie again, it's called Atomic Cafe. I think it was in that one. Uh, they would go through these like little mini seminars where they would tell you, oh, you got to keep your glasses on because it'll burn your eyes. Yeah. And then they would have these like little anatomical drawings on flipboards they would go through. They have to make sure that you checked your body for cuts and abrasions. And if you had any, you couldn't be part of the experiment because the way that the radiation hurts you is by getting into your skin. Mm -hmm. But your skin cannot be penetrated by radiation unless you have a cut or an abrasion. So out of Everything. That is one small example. And if you want to get into all the other examples of how the government has misled the American people, I am not trying to get on an anti-American thing, especially not on Memorial Day. I'm not going to do it. But it has been done before. Tests where they didn't know what was going to happen in order to kind of see the effects of this stuff. Yeah. They have misled people. Mm -hmm. So is this another case of just them misleading on testing an object? Are we not talking about something extraterrestrial at all? Are we talking about something ancillary extraterrestrial? Yeah. Were we testing out something that we, you know, technology we had gained from something else from extraterrestrials? Regardless, it's an odd thing that has not come into the public eye mm -hmm. since. The SR-22 uh, was known to the American government and not known to the American people for a number of years before the government said, yep, this is it. This is a badass airplane that we came up with. We've been testing it for a while. We just didn't tell you for top secret security reasons. Yeah. And it's understandable. We, we understand that, especially with during the Cold War. Mm -hmm. Can't let that out. We were being just pummeled to death with the MiG. But, hey, we got the SR-22 out of it, and we, that came about. We do, still don't have, to my knowledge, any vehicles that are oriented vertically that don't have propellers that shoot flames out of the bottom. Not that I know of. So now we're in this murky, murky medium of 
of it being kind of alien extraterrestrial technology, but still using fire, some type of propulsion system that isn't just a home yeah. the entire time, mm-hmm. right? So we're in the middle. So is it something that we were just trying to devise or whatever? If that's the case, Betty Cash kind of does have a lawsuit you know, should have a lawsuit in her hands. Mm -hmm. You know, if they were testing something and they weren't supposed to be testing it there and she got radiation poisoning from something that should not have been in a populated area, yeah, she does. But again, that that would never be admitted. No, it wouldn't. You know. And it would, I don't think it would be admitted any sooner than if it were an extraterrestrial craft, Mm -hmm. which the government would kind of have the hand up on. It wasn't us. It wasn't our craft. Well, I think either way, you'd really be kind of screwed. And she you was. You know, we're, we're not going to admit it. We're not going to admit it's extraterrestrial related. And we're also not going to admit that we might, it might have been something of ours. Yeah. You know, so either way, yeah. you know. Yeah. Either way, she was, she was screwed. She, she passed away with no real help from any government yeah. <laughs> facility whatsoever. And sad. that. It's very sad. And that is kind of how the story wraps up for us today. Um, I believe you were actually telling me afterward that maybe Colby had done some interviews afterwards because yeah, he's still alive. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, uh, I- I'm trying to think. He's probably close to my age. Really? So, well, you know, duh, around I mean, about. If he was 50, seven in 1980, 50. I mean. Yeah, yeah. So he's probably around late, late 40s. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't come upon any of those interviews when I was doing research. I can't research. remember. It's, I, I know I saw it on YouTube, but I can't remember what show he was on. Interesting. Okay. Talking about it. Yeah. So, but I will look that up tonight and I'll post that, uh, on the page okay. on our Supernatural Tendencies podcast page. Yeah. Sounds good. On Facebook. All right. I think that wraps it up for today in this. Great case. Pretty, pretty awesome case. I mean, I like having the duality. I like having the, the ins and outs and skeptoid with brian dunning really provided that for us yeah um although and and this is not me being a paranormal a paranormal having an interest in the paranormal because you have other witnesses as well even if schusler went through and cherry picked all the best information Mm -hmm. to me doesn't matter because if you have the three principal witnesses give you their story and then you have a number of other people say, yeah, yeah. we saw something too. And then you have a cop on top of that saying, yeah, well, I yeah. also saw the helicopters. They're not lying about at least the vast portion, the of main the core yeah. of the story. Yep. What happened? Something happened. And now the government wants to be shady about what exactly happened. Now, we can sit here all day and kind of go through the, the possibilities of why they were being shady. But they were. And whenever somebody is shady, there's going to be stories and there's going to be... It calls into question yeah. why. Yeah, yeah. So we have to ask that. So if you guys want to do some extra research on your own, dig in a little deeper uh, than I did. Obviously, there's something that I missed. I try not to do that, but I did. So um, thank you, Trista, for saying it was a great show. It was okay. It was rather late compared to <laughs> our usual of near noon. Um, you're welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for joining us. Um, do you have anything you want to add to the end of uh, end of today's? No, I think that's it for today's show. I think it was a pretty good show. Awesome story. Yep. Um, I do have a couple things I wanted to shout out as well. Um I always try to shout out podcasts when I listen to them because that's all I do all week. Again, uh, check out the Kryptonaut podcast. If you guys uh, listen to any type of podcast at all, they do alien abductions. Um, they do uh, cryptids and stuff like that. If you haven't even at least tried the Kryptonaut podcast, do it. Um, I honestly, they some days, them and um, last podcast on the left, um, American Hauntings podcast, make yeah, me no. not even want to do this anymore. <laughs> And it's not because of lack of interest. It's because if these podcasts do this so well, what can I do to do any better, come even close? 
to what they do. So if you get the interest, uh, I believe Crypto Podcast is running a special on their T Public for their merchandise. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get their merchandise at any time on T Public. They encourage you to wait till sales happen, especially with this pandemic. T Public actually approached them uh, to have a sale on some of their designs for their shirts, that their cut of each sale, the Kryptonaut podcast cut, would actually go to the local Mills on Wheels for them, which is out of Auburn, New York. Um, This week, I tried finding it before I came over. I couldn't find it because I put it in the wash, and I have no idea where it's hung. Uh, But I was going to wear my shirt that I had bought that actually uh, helped benefit that. Mm -hmm. So if you guys get the the time and you have the extra cash to throw through, to it they have great designs on top of that mm-hmm. it's going to a great cause i think they have two different designs going towards meals on wheels oh, cool. uh for the auburn senior citizens uh, over there in new york uh, get, get a chance to hop on if not get, still give them a listen uh rob morphy has done uh, cryptid uh research and, and alien research uh since like the dawn of the freaking internet so he is very knowledgeable and they do just absolutely great shows i believe that it's a little bit of explicit content so if you have kids uh don't let Watch them in the room. Watch it after the kids go to bed. Yep, and or then listen. also, yeah, and then also, I just kind of set them the American Hauntings podcast by Troy Taylor again. Uh, some of the benefits that these other podcasts have, uh, they have actual names behind what they do. They have experience with the American Hauntings podcast. They do have Troy Taylor. Uh, he's been doing stuff, geez, since the late '80s, early '90s, writing books. He's been on a bunch of TV shows. Uh, you can go on American Hauntings uh, tours all over the United States. I think they have some in New Orleans. They have some in Alton, Illinois. Uh, so you can actually join in on that. They do the Haunted America Conference, which I was hoping to attend this year, but I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not uh, with uh, with all this stuff going on. So if you get a chance, check out American Hauntings. Perfect blend of history um, and spookiness in there, and that's that's totally what I'm into, mm-hmm. um, given given the whole wrap. And that what they do is they actually do per season. We don't do seasons here. We just kind of do it over and over and over, you know, whatever the throughout the year. But they actually do seasons where they'll do a bunch of research and record the seasons and then kind of release them week by week. But they're already done. Yeah. Right? And they do a city per season, basically. I think their first one they did Alton. I think they might have done St. Louis after that. They mm. went on to uh, Kansas with the Kansas Axe Murders. Ass Murders. <laughs> Kansas Ass Murders. Uh, and then this newest season is New Orleans. So the entirety of the season is going to be New Orleans history, New Orleans Oh, cool. uh, spook areas and stuff like that. So if that piques your interest, please check those yeah. those people out. They do fantastic work. Other than that, I think we're done. I think we're done. Do you have anybody else you want to shout out? Kimbo, thanks for coming. <laughs> Which is funny because every time I think about going live, I think about Kimbo. I'm sorry, Trista. I'm sorry, Jennifer. But Kimbo, <laughs> for some reason, I'm like, is Kimbo going to be here? I hope Kimbo's That's fantastic. Here. <laughs> every time pops up. Yeah. No, I think I think I'm good on this one. All right, if we missed anybody, I know we had that long-standing thing of you invited a bunch of people to the group. Um, you get a shout you out. Get a shout yeah, out. We yeah. haven't made people. I think we have three people today join, but they were just yeah people who happened upon. So okay. if you guys get the time, you want to invite some people to the group, we'll give you a shout out. Of course, we uh, will. Of course, we're thinking about starting up a tea public of our own. So uh, that's not established at all. We're just kind of looking into the logistics of it. So if you guys would like some shirts, uh, we got to come up with some designs. We already have a couple, mm-hmm. but uh, I know, that, like I said, the Kryptonaut podcast they come up with like a new design every week because all you do is send them their design and you buy it from there. They ship it and everything else. So uh, we'll see how that that pans out. But I'd say that's probably about it. That's it. Audio listeners, thank you for listening. Stick around for the Musician Spotlight. For everybody in the live, hopefully you listen every Tuesday. You are missing the the actual scripted narrative that gives a more concise feel to the story. Mm-hmm. Also, you're missing on the Musician Spotlight. Please stick around for the Musician Spotlight. As for that, I'm out of breath and I'm out of time. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Love you. We'd like to say thank you one more time for hopping on board with us this week. 
If you have any comments, questions, critiques, or suggestions for new topics, please send us an email at supernaturaltendenciespodcast at gmail.com. We also encourage you to get over to our Facebook page at Supernatural Tendencies Podcast and go ahead and elbow drop that like button for us. We're also available on Instagram at Supernatural Tendencies Podcast and Twitter at Weird and Scary, if that's more to your liking. Please pass us around to your friends as well, where they can find us on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and most other podcast platforms. And remember, if you're having any type of paranormal activity or extraterrestrial contact, I offer private coaching online via Skype or Facebook Messenger to assist you with those issues. Feel free to visit me at christyjohnsonsadler.com for contact information. Till next time, this has been Alex and Christy. See you later. Hey, thanks for joining us again after the show. If you're the audio listener, we value you so much. Thank you for staying after. You stayed through the credits. You stayed through the, the music. You knew what was coming, and we appreciate you for sticking around. We really do. Don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> I feel like I don't incorporate you enough in this I don't part. know. One time you're like, I need you to talk more. The next time you're like, would you shut up? You're ruining everything. <laughs> this segment would have been really good if it weren't for you talking so much. See? That's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Anyway, we have our second uh, White Elephant Records band. Uh, Miss Alicia Adams sent us over a couple of these bands. She says she's got more uh, in the pike for me, so I'm going to have to let her know that she can keep on sending them because I think she might have one more for us uh, that she just sent me on the onset, but I think she says she has more. For today, she sent us uh, it was a Slumlord Radio, right? I didn't know that they were from Grand Rapids until I looked oh. them up. Uh, I think uh, you know that I just took a... Pretty hefty series of road trips was a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, from us, uh, I think I don't know if I already explained this. I think I did. I went to Florence, Kentucky, from us, which mm-hmm. is about two and a half hours, roughly. Yeah. And then the immediate next morning, I went to Grand Rapids, which is another almost three hours from us. And Grand Rapids, like they got a scene going on, and they're just far enough that I've never played Grand Rapids because they're actually on the other side of Michigan from us. I played Detroit, Warren, places like that, uh, but I've never played Grand Rapids. I need to because they have signs all over about how like great they are really and they how really great are great they are <laughs> they really are great like it it feels like the town you want to be in if you want to be a musician maybe I'm wrong maybe the Grand Rapidonians can tell me whether or not yes or no but hey Slumlord Radio today kind of like a like a like a crust sludge punk stoner rock metal thing like they kind of bridge the gap between all of them. Right? Yeah. You kind of listen to it. I think we got mm-hmm. the single here going to be a riot and usually I say that. For the end, but I don't care. I don't give a crap <laughs> about what I say when I say it. It just comes out, spill, spills out, spews out. I get into a lot of trouble. Who cares? Piece it's it together if you will. Who cares? And maybe I'll edit it. Maybe I won't. I don't even care. Uh, again, reoccurring for the past, what, six episodes now. Uh, I don't think they have any shows planned. I think venues are starting to open up here and there, mm-hmm. but not many, especially not in Ohio. I think Michigan's still on full lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> With that Gretchen, what's her last name? Oh, I don't even know. Gretchen the governor, something. Yeah. I think there's uh, 
still some resistance there with with that state. So hopefully they get back up and going so Slumlord Radio could get back to playing their stuff because it's it's pretty awesome. It's like really raw. I like it. Mm-hmm. Like the vocals. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, it's super super raw. Um man that cowbell. Could be a jam jam block, but I'm going to call it a cowbell for now until I figure out whether or not it's a jam block or a cowbell. Right? Sure. You don't even care. I do care. Do you care about cowbell? I I I like cowbell. Do you? Yeah. A little bit or a lot? A lot. Cuz I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. <laughs> Anyway, thank you one last time to Alicia Adams and White Elephant Records. Uh, coming out of Grand Rapids one more time, we have Slumlord Radio with their single, Gonna Be a Riot. Uh, gonna, gonna Be a Riot. You're fired. <laughs> Give me that cowbell. Play it. Call him. 